not one of you, not one person listening has a nurse that's just got excess capacity and, and nurses are leaving and they're burnt out and they're going per diem to other places and they're going to other parts of women's health or other parts of healthcare. Welcome to Inside Reproductive Health, the shop talk of the fertility field. Here you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management, patient relations, and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field. Wall Street and Silicon Valley both want your patience, but there is a plan if you are willing to take action. Visit fertilitybridge.com to learn about the first piece of building a fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Now, here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones. Legal liability nightmares, losing nurses because of burnout, really disappointing patients because of how long they have to be seen. These are some things we try to talk about avoiding in today's episode with Steve Rooks. He's the chief operating officer of the Fertility Partners in Canada and now in the United States as well. And it's an Engaged MD sponsor episode. I brought Steve on to talk from that lens because there's a lot of business people coming into the fertility field. You don't trust a lot of them. You don't like a lot of them. And maybe you like some people that I don't and vice versa. But I want to present Steve to you because he has the heart of a teacher. And whenever I'm assessing, can I trust someone? What are they like? I look to see if they have the heart of a teacher. I hope I do, but I think Steve definitely does because he also has the heart of a student. He started at IBM his career decades ago. He he has a mechanical engineering degree, and then he later got his MBA. He's worked for places like Bain and Bell Canada and private equity portfolio that has served a lot of funds in their portfolio. And he comes to the fertility field with the lean method of management to add value, to increase efficiency, to reduce the burnout and the burden on staff. And we talk about how he used EngagedMD as a part of that. And we've had so many people on the podcast talk about EngagedMD long before they were ever a sponsor. And I wanted to unpack more of why. Like, Why is this so resoundingly positive. Why is it so disproportionately positive? And so I thought Steve was a good person for that, as well as educating you on a lot of different ways of looking at your practice to improve systems and avoid losing any more staff than you have to and avoid taking off any more patients than you have to. I hope you enjoy this episode with Steve Rooks from the Fertility Partners. Mr. Rooks, Steve, welcome to Inside Reproductive Health. Thanks very much, Griffin. I'm really excited to be here. As I mentioned before, I've learned so much from your podcast that my being on here is a real pleasure and honor. I was saying to Stephanie from Engaged MD, it's, I think it was PCRS, I, I got to have Steve on the podcast because he's been such a sponge in the fertility field. I don't know if it's been about a year or so. For, you have just been the sponge. I, I, I see you in all places, just really learning. A lot of people come into the field and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I want to learn, and and will, but often they're just coming with their own agenda and just kind of tailoring it to that. And you really seem to be learning everything. So tell us a bit about your background. What are you coming into the field with? Sure, it's been a background that has been more about learning a, a lot, being challenged, but more importantly, supporting the success of others, starting 
as an engineer by education and then going on to do uh, my MBA and then working as a management consultant where I worked across multiple industries, helping executives improve their business in, in a wide range of situations, both top line and bottom line. And then taking that experience into uh, the corporate world, doing some work that had a very customer focused, transforming the customer journey in the equivalent of Verizon in Canada called Bell Canada. And then from there, going into private equity. So I've spent really the last 15 years working on the portfolio side of private equity for the likes of TPG Capital, Sun Capital, Ontario Teachers, Pension Plan, and a number of others. And from that, it was about working with the, the portfolio executive management and helping them, again, really improve the their business with a focus on value creation, on improving customer value prop. But for me, as a person going in there, I had to learn very quickly a wide range of industries and get up to speed to establish credibility to help them. So that's kind of been the basis. And that's why Dr. Andrew Mikula, our CEO and founder of Fertility Pro, had a recommendation of a private equity company that invested in them, called me up and said, hey, would you like to try something different? So I was at that time in a private equity company. And he laid out the opportunity to come to the Fertility Partners and really scale a uh, platform to support the clinics be that much better. And to me, looking for my last gig, as I would say, my last real role before I looked to semi-retirement, this was a, a fantastic opportunity. And what really got me excited was as part of that process, I, I spent some time talking with three of the REIs and our leading clinic, all of fertility in Vancouver. And their passion and their excitement and their desire actually to improve further, even though they're already the, the best, one of the best clinics in, in Canada, really motivated me to want to come on board and support them in becoming even better. And that's why they want a systems thinker. And you know, you're clearly a systems thinker from your you know, engineering first, then managerial consulting, and then getting your MBA. You're very much... A, you, a lot of people have the chief operating officer title because it's the title that was maybe available to some kind of senior executive. It seems to me that you are actually a chief operating officer. You're really an operator. And so at what point did you come across the lean method and, and will you give lean management an intro for the audience that might not be familiar with it? Sure. My very first exposure in, in, a, in a really serious way was during my first exposure in private equity at TBG Capital. TBG is a big believer in lean, and we initially were using it in what? In an orthopedic manufacturing environment. And in the course of seeing how hips and joints, uh, knees were made, I also saw how it was applied in the orthopedic surgery environment with one of the orthopedic surgeons who had used lean in his operating room in Belgium. And I was really amazed. And then I was asked by TPG, surprisingly, to implement lean at the Steezers and Harris uh, casino operations post global financial crisis, where all of a sudden they had to look at ways to reduce costs. But the beauty of lean is it's not, at its heart, it's not really a cost reduction exercise. It's about starting with a view of what's value added to the customer, or in our case, it's here in fertility, the patient. And those steps in a process that aren't adding value for the patient in terms of their willingness to pay that is creating value for them are just uh, steps that are adding time and costs to their journey. And therefore, the Lean Toolkit is about taking out those non-value-added steps and finding ways of working with the team. So that 
I had to implement lean working with a, a team across 22 properties over nine months. And we literally applied lean in every single process in the casinos. And, and the beauty of that is that I can see the impact across a wide range of processes. More important, the other aspect of lean that I really like is the bottoms up process. That is you actually engage the people who work and work with the patients, work with the customers. They're the ones actually stepping back and, and with support from facilitator, looking at the process and looking at the waste, the non-value added steps and finding ways to take it out. And then by the end of the week, because it's typically a week long exercise, they then have a very clear action plan of what needs to be improved. They've established at least five KPIs that will measure their success and their progress. And then they have an approach going forward that will drive continuous improvement. Most important, I can't tell you the number of times at the end of one of those weeks, hearing people so motivated where they said, look, this is the first time I felt like I was a part of the, uh, the, the process to improve my area. I had real ownership and a stake in it. And that was really gratifying. So that was my, since that moment, nearly 15 years ago, I've been a big believer in lead and seen it have impact across a wide range of industries, service, manufacturing, distribution, et cetera. So how does that translate into a field where there's emotions, where there's a standard of patient care? I could see it, it working on a Toyota manufacturing line, but when you have so many variables of one, there's just so many different kinds of cases to treat and different kinds of patient populations. And then you have the human element, emotions, relations, human. How does this lean method translate to fertility care? Great, uh, great question. I mean, again, it starts with the, the view of let's really focus on what's value-add to patients. How can we enhance that value-add? So whether you apply it to the intake process, to cycle monitoring, even in the lab, for example, it is stepping back and saying, okay, if we mapped out this journey from a patient perspective, let's map out all the times that they wait. Let's map out all the times that they are dealing with issues from a payment standpoint, from a testing standpoint, et cetera. And let's find ways to speed up that journey and remove any constraints or irritants that they experience in a way that, again, adds value while still ensuring quality and more effective outcomes, et cetera. So we had an, in the clinics that we apply this now, we've done it in at least two, but we have another three lining up to do it. And we did it in the best clinic and we did it in one clinic that needs a little more improvement. And in both cases, it starts with mapping out the entire value stream, in this case, the IVF journey for a patient. And he actually starts at learning that they're pregnant and moving back through the journey to the intake point from the referral point. And in that process, we identify all the areas that are constraints or issues or bottlenecks or pain points for the patient and for the participants that add value in the process. And you bring together a team of REIs, of nurses, of admin, of lab uh, techs, et cetera. So that they're all aware and one of the great strengths is just understanding that where the constraints are from end to end. And so we'd have REI saying, wow, I didn't realize that my asking for this caused this issue downstream. And through that process, then we identified all the areas to improve. And as an example in intake from referral to first consult, we, the lean exercise on that really focused on how we could improve the, our, our capture information and to get to the patient to the consult earlier 
more fully educated with all the testing done, uh, et cetera, so they can have a much more effective first consult. So through that process, I think everybody involved from the REIs to nurses, through the intake coordinators, et cetera, they all realize the value of doing this. And they all end up at, a, at an endpoint, a design of a new process that they all feel really good about, that they feel is gonna be more value-add for the patient. And we've established the KPIs and how do we measure success going forward? So that, that's, that, that kind of outcome really drives a desire to apply it to the next area that could be improved, like cycle monitoring or the lab, et cetera. Then how did Engage MD pass this value test for you? Because it seems like this type of system would be, and I'll say that EngageMD is, this is a sponsored episode for EngageMD, but you were at the Association of Reproductive Managers, were you at the, you were at the ARM meeting, right? With yes. That, and it, like, people just started getting up and it, it was like, oh, is, is EngageMD sponsoring me or is EngageMD sponsoring all of these guys? Because it was, it turned into like an EngageMD commercial from everybody just standing up and talking about the value. But I, I see a system like this is often like about eliminating things. And you go through it. We don't need that software. We don't need that bell or whistle. And, and with this process, it seems like you added engaged MD. So how did they pass this value test? Well, I hate to sound like a commercial, but the first time I heard about engaged MD was on one of your podcasts. And uh, I immediately thought, wow, that makes a lot of sense. And it's part of the process where in particular, we looked at intake and saw that for some clinics, the education process, so the value add for the patient of really understanding their journey, understanding their options, and being able to have a very good discussion with the REI in the first consult about their options, that to me was an area that was a challenge to do well for most clinics that weren't, didn't have a, a more effective approach. And in addition, the informed consent component, as, as my good friend, Dr. Stephen Katz would tell us many times, is not typically done well. And so when I saw Engaged MD, I saw it as a big and. Both really did a phenomenal job in educating the patient to tee them up for the consult, ensuring effective, true informed consent. And it added productivity because it reduced the amount of time that the clinicians had to spend with the patient because the patient can now do it themselves at their own pace and we can ensure they understand it going into the first consult with the REI or, or after and that's the process flow. So to me, Engaged MD was a clear value add for the patient, but it also helped improve productivity and effectiveness of that task of educating the patient and ensure that you have proper informed consent from them. Well, let's talk about that clinician piece for a second, that piece of them having to spend less time with the patient on a particular topic. Some people are concerned about that. They're like, well, I want to spend my time with my patient. Now, patients are coming to me for a reason, and I want to give them that time with me as opposed to a module. How has that played out for you all? Well, the, the beauty of this approach is that those steps that are very common for all patients, in this case, educating about the basics of the fertility journey, or even the details around PGT or other value-added services within the journey, those are common steps for all patients. So having something like EngageMD, where you can offload that common engagement, but then spend your time on the specialized, personalized engagement with the patient. So you can focus on their particular issues. That frees up your time. 
And, and that's the same thing with the REI consultant or the nurse uh, coordinator engaging with the patient. The common stuff is handled offline with the patient via the engaged MD module, but then the personalized discussion about what does this mean for you? What do we have to do for your specific case? That gives the REI and the clinicians more time to really focus on the personalized aspect of each patient's journey and less on the common aspects. Yeah, because otherwise the clinician is doing the job of the module, right? Like the clinician is simply a replicable recording if they're doing the A, B, C, D, E checklist. But if the module is doing that, then the clinician say, oh, you didn't really understand C? Let me talk to you a little bit more. Oh, there's a bit more of D in your case. Why don't we spend some time talking about that? Well, that that's the beauty of Engage MD with their knowledge checkpoints through the education modules. The clinicians have an opportunity to understand where a patient is having issues and therefore just focus on those areas, whether that, again, is in PGT or in stimulation, et cetera. It allows them to focus on where the patient themselves have had some challenges in understanding the journey. So it really allows that focus and that value add where it's needed. I can't stress it. I do it in our own sales process and how much it helps. I don't do it as, as efficiently as in engaged MD where they've got like a whole module, but I do have, we have a system for when people come in through the goal diagnostic, I have some articles and some pages on my site that I send them so that by the time I talk to them and they're, they're filling out some information for me, so by the time I talk to them, it is not just a, what do you do? What, who else have you guys worked with? What, like, what are the types of strategies you work on? It, we're focusing on like, this is what you all need to do. And so it's like, they're still getting my time, but it's far more tailored to them. It's far more valuable than me serving something that a web page could do. And it seems to me like Engaged MD does that for patients really well, especially. And actually we, we started the process of really innovating in our intake process. That, and this came out of lead as well as some additional work that I was doing with Dr. Dan Nayat and Gary Dakuda and all in, was really trying to make the intake process more efficient, where we're doing initial triage with GPs, as an example, we're layering on a digital platform to help really improve the process for the patient. The key thing is in that initial triage before they hit the first consult, we have the ability to understand at least to some degree what their journey may entail, though the REI will confirm in the first consult. But what we can do then is where we have some unique challenges for a given patient, we can tee up the engaged MD module that's most pertinent to them. Many clinics who use engaged MD might wait till after the first consult to do the education. We feel it's important to tee up those unique aspects ahead of time so that when they have the conversation with the REI, they already had some pre-education. So it's a much, again, it's a much more focused, value-added conversation rather than the REI having to do the education aspect first. So that, that's an important distinction that many cl clinics haven't necessarily optimized engaged in MD because they look at the cost and say, well, we should do it after when we know they're definitely a patient as part of the conversion process. We feel though, it's even more value-add ahead of the first consult if you have a sense that, okay, this patient may need PGT as an example, and we can provide that ahead of time. I wonder if some REIs are thinking, well, I have a contrarian point of view on many things. And I think if you have a contrarian point of view, it's even more important to have a baseline 
Because otherwise, the, if, yeah, that patient's just deer in headlights. They don't even know what you're being concerned about. They don't even know, like, other than, like, oh, that sounds good. And then they Google something else anyway. But yeah. if there's a baseline, then, and you could say, hey, but, on this specific point, I take this approach. And yeah. I, I feel like if you're contrarian, it's all the more important. And I've just heard at that arm meeting, you started sounding off on Engage MD, and everybody else just start, kind of started doing the same thing. That, I know I'm biased because they're a sponsor for us. So everybody knows my bias. They're a sponsor for us, though, because I've known them for seven years and, and I've talked to them about being a sponsor way before I talked to anybody else because I just keep hearing positive things. And I'm not saying that there's nobody with ne negative things to say about Engage MD. I'm just saying I haven't heard it yet. So if you actually have negative things to say about Engage MD, email no, me. Email me. No, not, not you. But I mean, the listener, like email me because if you exist, let me know you exist. Otherwise, I don't have any evidence that they exist. I just keep hearing these really good things. But if I, if I can add something there, one great thing that they've done for us as a true partner, because they definitely have a mission for properly educating patients. As a true partner, we needed a course in Canada to also have Quebec French versions of the module done. And that could have been a very expensive proposition, but they partnered with us and they were very transparent and basically just passed through the pure cost of having it done properly by a third party with a French, with a French Canadian group that helped us get these, these modules up and running for our Quebec patients. And that made a huge difference. Furthermore, for some of the more unique languages that we, we have in Canada, like Punjabi or say Mandarin, et cetera, they've been very quick to say, hey, the fastest track is to put subtitles for those languages in all our videos. And they've been very supportive to do that quickly in a very inexpensive way. So I'd say now in, in Canada, in our clinics, we have the ability to support all of our patient base, irrespective of their language, with this, these education models, which makes a huge difference for them. We've been talking about the value add for the patient, but I think the real golden, the, the silver lining or the, the golden bonus, whatever you want to call it, is what it does for the staff right now. Because if you're listening, like how many of your nurses are just sitting on their hands? Like not one of you, not one person listening has a nurse that's just got excess capacity and, and nurses are leaving and they're burnt out and they're going per diem to other places and they're going to other parts of women's health or other parts of healthcare, some of them are leaving healthcare altogether and you can't replace them fast enough. They're already trying. I'm talking to, to, to the you being the everyone. All of us are trying to recruit as fast as we possibly can uh, to exceed retention. We're all in this boat across the marketplace in the workforce, especially with nursing and healthcare. And you can't replace them fast enough anyway. And you need to get stuff off of their plate that they shouldn't be doing. Can you talk about like th that at all, like with the reduction of burden to the staff? Exactly. I mean, that's part of our mission on our innovation that we're trying to bring to the platform. So looking as we look at the workflows through the lean exercises and looking at opportunity, again, if it's non-value add, uh, it's not patient facing then we're looking at ways where we could automate steps and really improve the flow. So it's not just nurses, even the admin. A lot of our admin still are faced with the issue, for example, of transcribing fax referrals 
the EMR, and that's a huge pain because of lack of integration. So we're looking at an EMR that, that would allow us, for example, to take e-faxes and leverage some of the online services that can transcribe with a strong focus on, on medical faxes, transcribe and put them into the EMR. So that's a step that typically takes 20 to 30 minutes of MOA's time, medical office assistance time, and typically results in, in errors. So our goal is to automate a lot of those things, reduce the errors, and ensure that all of that is fully capped. On the back end, many of our EMRs aren't properly integrated with our billing and, and accounts payable system. So again, that's a lot of manual work that we are targeting to handle with our EMR. So throughout the value stream, we're finding ways to augment all of the players in, in the, the value stream in terms of their role so they can focus on patient-facing value-added steps, for example. And I want to refer, for example, to another thing I've heard uh, Dr. Sable once mentioned, and I think Eduardo as well, around the future of, of AI. So we're looking at our new EMR system as a way, for example, of across our clinic network, being able to augment the REI by saying, hey, for this type of patient with these hormone levels, here are the top five protocols that have resulted in the best results. Now that's still up to the REI to make a decision about what needs to be done, but it's a way of augmenting their capability and bringing value to help speed up the decision-making around a given patient, for example. So you mentioned informed consent as one of these areas that patients are getting true informed consent. Yeah, I, yeah I'm not legal counsel, neither is Steve. So we have to give that obligatory disclaimer that always talk with legal counsel. But when you're looking at informed consent, it's like, okay, did this person really have informed consent? If it's a stack of papers, maybe, you know, they don't speak the language that well, maybe it was rushed versus they had an online module where they watched every single one. They took a quiz. They had it in their language. What holds up it as as better as informed consent? And Dr. Katz says it's obviously the video. It's longest. And so, but it's, that kind of talks to the effectiveness, but is there any efficiency? And if there isn't, then talk about that. But is there any efficiency saved with EngageMD in the video module, or, or excuse me, in the informed consent part of, well, now you're not tracking down people for, if did they? Oh, yeah. I can tell you that before it engaged MD, to do it properly, at least to, to the level that Dr. Cox would bless and say, okay, that's sufficient informed consent. We would have nurses spend 45 minutes to an hour sitting down and working through the informed consent forms, ensuring that the patient was you know, fully understood each clause, et cetera, and then to get them to sign. And, and, and so... Again, when I step back, you would say that informed consent is important, but it's not necessarily value add per se for the patient in terms of getting pregnant. It's an important legal requirement to ensure that they understand what they're going through. But that's a step where if you can have something in place like engaged MD that ensures that the patient went through the material, has the knowledge checkpoints, and then ties it into the, the specific portion of the informed consent form, in their language, because that's the other great thing about uh, engaged MD, not only the modules, but the actual forms themselves can be in the, their, their language. Then you truly know you have informed consent and you have an audit trail that you can demonstrate if a bad case scenario happens and the patient comes back and, and tries to, to, to claim lack of informed consent, you have that audit trail to be able to prove otherwise. Uh, now you, you hope that never happens, but it, it, 
that stuff does happen every now and then. And you want to be able to have that audit trail, but not spend the time that was required before you actually engage them need to do so. That's so much time for the nurses save. That's, I, I just I, like anything that we can get off of the nurses, the mid-levels, the providers plates, I want to get off their plate. If you just look at, when you think of like the cost, say like when you compare the cost of like how much time you're saving for your providers, how, how much you'd be saving on recruitment by not having to, to hire recruiters or how much you're saving on retention. To me, like the cost benefit seems there. Now, I think more than half of clinics in North America are using EngageMD. So we're beyond the tipping point. For those that, that aren't yet, I, I suspect it's just because it's like, oh, it's just one more thing that we want to think about. And so for, for them, they might be at a point where it's like, okay, is the juice worth the squeeze? Is it like how much implementation is going to be there? So can you talk about how many clinics did you unroll EngageMD for and, and how did you go about unrolling it? Well, as soon as I learned about EngageMD, I literally teed this up within a month. Now, of course, as with the facility partners, we can tell a clinic what to implement. We have to sell it to them. So I became Jeff and Stephanie's best sales rep, working with all our clinics to highlight the value. Now, fortunately, we already had our largest clinic all of using it for a while, and they were able to point to the value in terms of true informed consent, all the savings from from a, a nursing uh, time standpoint, min time standpoint, but also just having a better patient experience with the modules. So I was able to sell all our clinics very quickly with the only final hurdle being the French language requirement for the Quebec clinics. But we worked through that. And so we literally had engaged MD rolled out in multiple waves over, I'd say a four month period at the most, eight clinics right away. And then the other three Quebec clinics were now we finally have the translations and they're implementing now and they're very excited about that. So it's basically all of our clinics and the the impact has been huge, as I say, from a education, patient experience and ensuring true informed consent. Because we all know, we've all faced those forms online where, it, you know, it says scroll through everything and then sign the bottom. Everybody just scrolls all the way through and then sign. So the time that the nurse would spend having to ensure that they went through it properly was, was very painful and time consuming. And now we, we know that the patients are doing it properly. Yeah, it's not the Apple consent. You can't just do that. The long thing that who knows how many firstborns we've all agreed to give away because n none of us read those disclaimers. So, okay, so you have to sell it to the clinics. You got them to, to buy on. And in about four months, you were able to unroll it. How does it start? Like, let's pretend we're one of those clinics. Like, and maybe they're not working with the fertility partners. So they, they call Jeff and Stephanie sales team and engage MD. Then the, what happens from there? How does it get into the practice? Well, well, basically first, I mean, the very first thing is for the, the actual clinic to review the modules as they stand today, to understand what's in them and, and make recommendations. Well, not just make recommendations to require some modification. So for example, you know, here in Canada, there's a slightly different way we practice some of our approaches in, in protocols, et cetera. So all of our clinics had the opportunity to say, okay, I want this language changed a little bit. We need to change that there. And EngageMD is very accommodating. They will make the necessary changes on a reasonable basis without any extra charge. That's part of the process. The French language one was a whole new step, which did require some additional costs. And we all agreed to that very transparently. So 
first is to, to modify the, the modules as they see fit and indicate how they're going to do it. And then the team in parallel works on the informed consent form. So digitizes their existing informed consent forms, provides necessary translations if you need to say English and Spanish or French, et cetera, and tee those up and work with the team to then decide on the workflow. So helping the, the nurses understand how to push it out, how to, to, to designate the particular modules for a given patient, et cetera, and how to access them. So the, the total on a, at a given clinic, the, the implementation time really is no more than two to four weeks max in terms of making the changes on the modules, like digitizing the informed consent, so taking the clinic's own informed consent forms, digitizing it and setting up on the platform, and then doing all the training. So those um, nurses who are engaging with the, the patients and need to assign the modules to the patients, they go through the, the training process too. So it, it can take less than, than four weeks for you to get at a given clinic, it up and running and, and having an impact with your patients. What are some of the hiccups that can happen? Like in, that's, that's pretty quick. Like, are there any hiccups that people should know about? We didn't experience any real thing. I mean, the only area would be just an, in, ensuring that the content was in sync with the way that the clinic practiced fertility treatment. Though, and again, then that was, I think, a little bit of a Canadian US type of, of change. But I imagine within the US in particular, there'd be very little hiccups there per se, because they're constantly ensuring that their modules are reflect the, the latest and greatest state of the art when it comes to treatment and approaches, et cetera. And we did, though they're very good on LGBTQ in terms of representing that, we did make some suggestions about adding on some additional representations so we could have support our LGBTQ patient base a little bit better with the educational model. And that's all part of the, the beginning part of the process where you're making, you're modifying it to your center's standard of treatment and that's all part of the standard process exactly and and the other thing too the thing i like about engage md is they do allow you also if you've got some very good very specific modules like an introduction to the clinic and other things they can also host those modules to be able to push out to the patient i forgot to mention too they completely white label everything so that the videos all have the, the branding, the, the logos, et cetera, as well as, of course, the informed consents are, are, are identical to what you would have um, on paper for, at the clinic. So that's the other key thing is that ability in additional video modules that may be produced. We have one clinic that I'd say more than half of its videos are its own, while the key ones for an informed consent standpoint are engaged MDs. So that's another flexibility that's quite good. Was there anything, because I had to go, I had to go catch a flight at, from the ARM meeting this year, but was there anything that people said that other people didn't really know that they, oh, I didn't know you could use it that way or were using it? Like, was everyone using it the same way or was there any diamonds in the rough that people figured, oh, I, I didn't know I could do that? Well, I think it's things like position, it's when you position the modules so that you can, you know, tee up. Uh, a patient to be prepared for a discussion ahead of time rather than post consult so that it's a much more informed one. The other thing that's great about EngageMD is that you're, you can easily, you have free use with, for training. So as we bring on in particular medical office assistants, 
admin, et cetera, we can leverage the engage MD modules to quickly get them up to speed on fertility treatment. And that's another great thing, especially with the knowledge checkpoints, et cetera. We're not going to get them to do the informed consent, but the training aspect of those modules are fantastic that have been really helpful as we brought people on into the clinics. Well, you, let's talk a little bit about that pre-consult use, because also we have to do something to keep patients engaged for these gigantic wait lists that most people have right now. So our, the fertility bridge position is that the sweet spot of wait list is between two to five weeks. And everybody's, oh, not everybody, most people are past that right now. And so under two weeks, it's just like, what are you doing? You're in big trouble. But over, over four weeks and people, oh, I'm an expert. I want to be, yeah, I want to have an eight week wait list. It's like, okay, fine. But in, in a millennial world, the four weeks is a ton. And so to have like six week, eight week, 10 week wait lists, which many of the people listening do, like we need something for the patient in that time. We create materials and things, but they also need, you know, they also need stuff like for their treatment. And if, if they can get this education that is white labeled through the practice, then it's like, oh, I'm still participating with the practice. I'm still moving towards my treatment. I'm still moving towards the answer I'd get in a consult, even if I'm not going to be seen for another three weeks. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the great thing that EngageMD is now, I want to recently, but developed when we implemented was they have two tiers of modules in terms of detail. So there's kind of like, the foundational modules, which are very low cost for patients. So to me, those ones are a must ahead of the consult. So it's like fertility one, for example, and that tees up the, the preliminary aspects of fertility ahead of the consult. Now we've gone one step further. So in addition to those foundational modules, which are very inexpensive to put in front of all patients, whether or not you're going to convert them uh, to IVF or not, we also, as part of our triage, are trying to determine some of the likely added treatments of UNESCO, whether it's ICSI or potentially PGT or other aspects. And we can then look to tee those up as well too, if we're confident as opposed to doing it after the consult, to do it ahead of the consult, to help ensure that the patient's well-educated ahead of that. The other things may be modules around some of the value-added services about how nutrition and mindfulness and wellness, et cetera, can really help on the journey. And we're using that as a way to tee, as you've certainly highlighted in, in some of your conversion podcasts, that notion of attaching the value-added services ahead of the consult to engage them in the process ahead of time. So that could be teed up by some of the modules, and then we can offer that as they're waiting for that first consult as a way to initiate the engagement around wellness, mindfulness, nutrition, et cetera. Yeah. That way they're not only are they informed, but they also feel like they're being served. Like I'm not, not just waiting in line for me to pop into this office and in eight weeks that I'm working towards something on a journey. It's a really good, it's a really good thing to be able to offer right now. So we talked about the, the necessary burden relief for the staff. We talk about the value add to the patient. Want to do a little free consulting for Jeff and Taylor on air right now? I don't know if you got any NDAs in place or whatever. And I don't know what their product roadmap looks like either, but just in terms of either what you'd like to see from them or what you want to see somebody in the, in the field produce to offer a lean solution, what would you like to see come out as a technological solution in the next year to three years? 
around HMD as a platform? If you can think of something, and if not, then in general. Yes. Yes. As I say, our, our key things was around the language. That was one they really addressed well. And just the enhancing of the modules in terms of knowledge checkpoints, more knowledge checkpoints so that, again, going back to what Dr. Katz has said, by having those knowledge checkpoints and the ability to add more. So I, for example, would love the ability to easily tailor and customize the knowledge checkpoints, given our, some of the things that we're highlighting in the informed consent, so that I can be very certain that the patient understands some of these key points. So to me, enhancing that true informed consent through those knowledge check is really critical. So I'd want the ability to add more customization and flexibility around those. I haven't really pushed them on that, but that's definitely an area I would add. And, oh yes, I, I do recall now, I remember having a good session and is the ability as the patient is going through the modules to create a scratch pad so that those issues that the patient's not really sure about, they can enter in that questions and the things they're unsure that can be captured and shared with the their nurse coordinator, their IVF coordinators and the REI. So those areas, so that goes beyond just having a set knowledge checkpoint. It's actually allowing the patient to interact with the material and say, hey, here's where I'm not sure about, here's where I want more information. And that could be, that's actually a great way to further enhance the engagement ahead of the first consult by enabling them to have layering those questions through the watching the engaged MD modules. And that's something I did highlight to them. And the other key thing is then to tie that into the EMR so that it's one thing we're working on them is to improve the, the integration of engaged MD with the EMR to capture some of these notes and, and questions and pull them into the patient history as well too. And that would be a, a, another area as well, but I, I can see that value add is really enabling better engagement and insight for, for the patients and being able to respond. So that the, the IVF coordinator could see those messages ahead of the first consult and even provide responses back in a two-way engagement ahead of time. Well, let's talk about that, that this concept of EMRs being able to talk to other softwares, because I think this is absolutely requisite. I think the, the concept that people are talking about in the broader lexicon is a digital wallet and a data wallet, really uh, not a digital wallet, like Apple wallet that has money in it, but, or even not even a, like a cryptocurrency wallet, but a data, although th those things would like be integrate, but like a data wallet. And I'm willing to give some of my access to some parts of my data wallet in order to have a, a, a be better customized experience. And what I want to see in the field is a CMR that that integrates with all EMRs, like, and because everyone wants attribution. I've got a point of view on attribution that it will never be perfect, e even if we have what I'm describing here. But what I'm describing here will will be closer, which is CRM, customer relationship management. Think HubSpot, Salesforce, yes. Sharp Spring, things like those, and integrating with EMRs. And what what I'd like to see is that because otherwise it's like it's just one more damn thing for the clinic that that they don't want to have to deal with. So are there other things that you think like need to be able to talk to each other? And I think for those softwares that don't talk to each other, at least have the ability to in 10 years, I, I think they're going to be obsolete. I, maybe that's wishful thinking, but I, I think it's part of the reason I just had 
Gina Bartesian from Kind Body, and they're talking about they've got everything. Like it's end to end. They've got their own EMR. They've got their own scheduling software. And it's like, well, that's might be part of the reason why, because in the meantime, if people aren't going to talk to each other, it's like, all right, well, then we'll just create everything and it will talk to each other. And so what do you think really needs to be able to talk to each other? Well, I, to your point, some of the sort of external interactions that patients have, say within support groups, the ability of through CMR integrated to EMR, the ability to understand and be able to, to monitor the kinds of questions that are being discussed on, on social media group chats around fertility, for example, to, to provide greater insight around some of the issues that the REIs and the clinicians may not be aware are issues for the patients unless the patients specifically talk about it. So having that kind of awareness, that external awareness of what are some of the the questions that are being asked, I want to do it in a way that doesn't feel too big brothery, but I see it more as if it's done in an anonymous way to at least allow the clinics to understand what are some of the issues that are not being addressed properly in today's patient journey that can be addressed through things like Engaged MD, through the, the education of the patient, the engagement with the REIs, the engagement with the clinicians. So it's a kind of... Um, trying to think of the right word, but it, it's it's having that knowledge of what's not being addressed today in the typical journey that the patient experiences within the clinic walls, that they need to look externally to patient support groups, et cetera. And it can be done. There's no reason that you couldn't be able to honestly review what's going on in those chat groups, but that would provide you greater insight on things that aren't being properly. I, I want to go back to, to the point about staff and recruitment and retention. Is this, is this happening as much in Canada as it is the United States with nurses being burnt out and going to others and going per diem and going other segments? Is the, is the great resignation or whatever, the great reshuffle it's now being called, is that happening in Canada as much as it is the U.S.? I would say yes. It's likewise happening here as well as embryologists are also another group of class of, of, of staff that are very difficult to find. But yes, there is that, that burnout with the, the nursing staff, et cetera. And, and that's, you know, one of our key focuses again, is to help through things like lead and tools to make their day-to-day -day, uh, lives much easier to manage with reduced stress, less firefighting, better information flow, because that's part of their challenges, getting the information in a timely manner, communicating it to the patient working with the REI to support them on adjusting the, the patient's medications, for example. So the more that you can do to reduce that stress and the, the time constraints that they have, again, the better it is uh, for them. So yeah, absolutely. And that, that comes in with the proper integration with, with EMR, for example. So one of the key things that we're ensuring is a very thorough integration between our, say, our testing endpoints, whether that's in-clinic or it's external that the, the test requisitioning results immediately flow in. And ideally you would have that kind of augmented AI that could say, okay, given this test result, here's a recommended adjustment. And the IDF coordinator can look at it, say, yeah, that makes sense. Get the okay from the REI and bang, it's done. So you can have a lot more of the decision-making that goes on be augmented and not fully automated, but at least augmented to speed up the process. 
maybe we'll get there in the couple in the next couple in the next decade or so. I want to give you the thought to conclude about however you want about lean in, in the fertility field and and what you want to see happen in the next couple of years. But we've been talking about engaged MD for those of you that are managers and and nursing managers. This is something to bring to your superiors. This is something that is worth a little bit of political capital from you. And you can use this episode to do that. If you say that you heard it on the show or heard it from me or heard it from Steve on the show, then they can get 25% off their implementation fee. But it's really for making sure that you're not losing any more nurses, making sure that you're not having patients light you up on online reviews because you're just so slammed with capacity and providing some relief at a time where it is it is hard to relieve the workload that your mid-levels and nurses and other staff are are dealing with. And if you're a practice owner, it's, it's more likely than not that you're already using Engaged MD and maybe we're preaching to the choir. But if you're not, then now really is the time. And so, Steve, I'll let you conclude on how, whether it's Engaged MD, whether it's Lean, whether it's just how, what you want to see, your vision for the field for the next couple of years. Thanks, uh, Griff. I mean, for me, the key thing is finding ways to innovate that bring value to the patient that really improves their understanding and their feeling of control over the process and doing it in a way that helps also realize productivity gains across the value stream. And, and to me, EngageMD is a great example of that, where it provides much greater education and to the patient so they understand better, they're more in control of understanding the decisions that they need to that ties in the informed consent. And more importantly, we easily justified implementing EngageMD from just the savings of the uh, nursing time for the education and for walking through the informed consent forms and and signing off, it was a, it was a one to me is one of those no brainer decisions. The the savings alone easily covered the cost of implementation, but more importantly, it was an end situation where we were really adding value to the patient journey through the better education, through the better understanding, for the benefit of a much more effective first consult and, and follow on engagements with the, with the REI. So to me, the kind of tools that are, we're looking to implement are things like EngageMD. Other examples, another source of challenges for patients is really understanding and, and setting the proper expectation that IVF in particular could easily be a multi-cycle journey for them. And I, I, would, I can't tell you the meaningful percent of patients that don't quite understand that, despite the REI's attempts to explain that Given their circumstances, IVF could be a multi-cycle journey. And we're investing in tools that helps visually explain that better. So the REI can, using the visuals, help them better understand that for them, IVF could be a two or three cycle journey as opposed to getting pregnant the very first embryo transfer, which can happen, but is very rare. So those are, again, really examples of having tools that really add value for the patient, but help improve the REI's ability to explain and, and help them make the right decisions for their benefit. Steve Rooks, you are a true chief operating officer. You are a true systems thinker. It is the way that your brain is wired. Thank you so much for sharing some of that brain on Inside Reproductive Health. Thanks very much, Griffin. I really appreciate it. It's, it's been an honor 
to actually be on your podcast. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast with Griffin Jones. If you're ready to take action to make sure that your practice thrives beyond the revolutionary changes that are happening in our field and in society, visit fertilitybridge.com to begin the first piece of the fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Thank you for listening to Inside Reproductive Health.